Hey baddies, so I have the flu. <laughs> I'm sure you saw if you're in the Facebook group, uh, I got sick about a week ago and I was supposed to go to Ireland this week for work and uh, my brilliant plan was, okay, I'll deal with this little bug, this little bugaboo, like whatever it is, which I thought was just like a 24 hour, 48 hour virus. And then I was going to put out an episode on this past Sunday to bridge these two weeks and then we come back to our regularly scheduled uh, programming on the 18th, but the universe had other plans and I have the full fledged flu, <laughs> the FFF, if you will. So, uh, bad news is I wasn't able to go to Ireland, which I was so looking forward to, but the good news is I get to put out an episode this Wednesday. Now, how good will this episode be? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, as you can hear, my voice is pretty weak. I am a uh, pretty weak, uh, definitely not as bad as I was on Monday and Tuesday when it really started to rear its ugly little virus head in my system, I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. This isn't just a cold or sinuses like it normally is. And um, so I am definitely doing better, but I'm not doing great. So uh, yeah, this we're going to try to get through as much as we can because I have two like fun episodes planned for this week and next, and I want them to be as, as good as normal or as well. No, as well as normal. What are you talking about, you crazy person? <laughs> All right, so that leads me to number two. Um, my voice is a little weak. I am a little weak. And also, I'm a little loopy, obviously, between being uh, on cold and flu medicines and actually having the flu. It just makes you a little cuckoo, obviously. I mean, more cuckoo than I normally am. So if y'all can deal with that for this week, I promise. Well, I, I hope that I can promise that next week I will be back to normal. And I mean, I know I'm always a little off and cuckoo and crazy, but at least my voice won't sound so like quiet because you know how I feel about whispering, right? And I'll just, I'll be back to my normal level of energy, hopefully. But you know, maybe this could be like our own bad witch ASMR, even though, like I said, I do hate whispering. <laughs> but instead of whispering, I'll just say it like a steady, calm timber. And if you're you know, wrapping presents, or if you're doing a reading for yourself, or if you're lighting your candles, maybe this is the right vibe and mood and pitch to get you like in a really calm space. So <laughs> I'm going to try my best um, in delivering this week's podcast. Please try your best in bearing with whatever craziness comes out of my mouth, because truly I am having a hard time even remembering certain words. I'll just blank out in the middle of sentences. <laughs> But I did, I took a lot of notes because I was playing this episode for, um, for last week because before I got sick, I was thinking I'll put out on Wednesday, we'll skip a Wednesday and then we'll just come back, you know, when I'm gone. Uh, so I have a lot of notes, which is good. So I can read off of that and not just try to go off the top of my head because trust me, that is a risky exercise right now. So all of that being said, welcome to Bad Witch Podcast, the podcast where we are going to get our witch shit together one spell at a time. Wait, I just started laughing to myself. <laughs> I was like, what if after this episode, I get a bunch of like reviews and emails and comments that say, oh, I really actually liked when you were calm and even not just like yelling and giggling about everything. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, I'm still getting my giggles out, but uh, I hope that you'll not get this one taste of like, if I was a little bit calmer and a little bit more steady and be like, this is what we want. Cause I don't know if I can maintain this <laughs> unless my immune system continues to act like this. And then that this might be bad, which going forward, but I know that y'all love me and support me all the same, and it's definitely mutual. Which, speaking of, hi to all of you that are getting a new episode, a, blah, 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 a new episode for the first time. Uh, we had, I think it was two weeks ago, a big influx. Influx. Wow, this this is gonna be one. This is gonna be fun for the books. <laughs> a big influx of people coming over from uh, another Facebook group that decided to close down, and so this is the first episode you're getting. So hi, welcome. I hope you're loving the group. I hope you're loving the podcast and getting to know all of us and being a part of our coven now and, you know, just catching up on all the stuff that I put out so far this year. I'm really, really happy to have all of you. And I'm really feeling like, you know, everyone that came over is a great fit. If you came over from that other group that closed down and please forgive me, I, someone told me the name of it, but I just can't remember right now. I think it was, what, what, I don't need to guess. I don't <laughs> to guess and put out any like if I say a name of something else put out any false rumors and gossip out there but um if you came over and you are listening to this but I haven't let you into the group yet 
the answer for the the question, like the screening question, I guess I would call it, is the craft. Um, I also accept flubber and blubber. <laughs> and if you've gone back and listened to older episodes, you'll know why. It's the only way I can explain the concept of energy. I've never seen flubber. And also I tend to call it blubber because I've never seen it, obviously. But yeah, the craft, blubber or blubber. So yeah, if this is your first episode or if you've caught a few and you're like, oh, I can't remember what she said. I don't like really cling on to pop culture stuff like that. It is the craft. So uh, one of those three, I will let you in. And, you know, no pressure. If you can't, if we get to the end of this episode and you go to join the group and you're like, I can't remember again. What what was it that Mickey said? Just let me know that you listen to the podcast. You can talk about Bill Skarsgård, even though, I mean, RIP our relationship. I still do have love for him in my heart. We just can't be together. Um, I... <laughs> Uh, if I've talked about, what else have I talked about a lot? Teen Witch I've referenced, um, Hocus Pocus, you know, like all of that witchy stuff that we talk about. My aim being just to keep the group as positive and open and amazing a space as it has been since day one. Like I said, when uh, everyone came over to the group, I have never, ever, ever had to remove anyone. I'm the only admin because it doesn't get crazy in there. We don't need a bunch of admins, you know? Maybe when it gets to a thousand people, I'll add someone, but as of right now, it's just... If you ask me, the coolest place on the internet. <laughs> so let's just try to keep it that way. But I am happy to let you all in. Just give me an answer so we can go along with it. Okay, I think that is all the housekeeping for this week. Um, yeah, so before we get into our topic, which I am going to warn you, is supremely, supremely nerdy. It's not about American Horror Story. I know I'm saying supreme, like, oh, here's a hint. <laughs> no, it's not about American Horror Story. But it is uh, dealing with witches in pop culture and witches in the media to an extent and also with our witch story like our witch history that we were talking about back in October so it is going to be a very nerdy episode but I'm very excited about it <laughs> I hope you'll like it I think I think y'all will because you know I, I had a few people being like hey you should do more history episodes I really enjoy that so yeah we're gonna have a, a chill even tempo nerd fest episode that I'm really looking forward to doing and I'm, I'm I'm glad I can kind of try to push through for it anyway before we do that I have a witch kid memory that came flooding back to me last night and I want to know if you did the same thing so you know how witches are look at the moon kind of people right like we we're like that from childhood we watch the moon we are kind of obsessed with it we stare at it when you're in the car you see it following you you're like what is this connection what does it all mean <laughs> and even as adults we will point it out to other people or just catch ourselves gazing at it or being caught up in it and it always kind of just takes our breath away right I mean how many times have we said on this podcast the moon is our mom you know and that's sometimes she punishes us and sometimes she gives us advice and sometimes she grants us with everything we could ever want and dream of she truly is you know this mother figure to us and this goddess in all of these ways but last night it was my first time leaving the house in a week and I went to go get soup. I know it sounds very glamorous and exciting. It's pretty much the same thing as going to go to Ireland, you know? But when I got out of my car, I saw that there was one star in the sky. And I did this thing instinctually, which I realized I've done my entire life. And I do it without thinking at this point. And I was so curious. I was like, oh my gosh, is this a witch kid thing? So let me know if you do this too. When you see one single star in the sky, it's the only star out there, right? Do you do the starlight, star bright rhyme? Which, in doing it last night, I realized it was a spell, <laughs> which I also never realized in my entire life. Like, 32 years, old, 32 years old, hello. I've been a witch my entire life. I've been, like, deep into this witch thing for years and years now. And it never occurred to me that I've been chanting this spell since I was four or five years old. So, if you've never heard it before, or... You're like, Mickey, what the hell is Starlight, Star Bright? It is Starlight, Star Bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have the wish I wish tonight. And then you make a wish on it. Have you done that? Is that just me? <laughs> I feel like that's such a witchy thing to do. And I mean, I believe it wholeheartedly. I really sit within a moment and have like a meditative space with that star and really put my wish out there. And I always speak it aloud. And I always really concentrate and hone in on that one star. And I don't know if it has to be one star for you if you just pick one out in the sky and that's how you were taught to do it. But for me, it's like you have to catch it when there's only one star visible. So I just wanted to put that out there because I was like, you know, we're so look at the moon witches, but I'm also wondering like, we're look at the star witches too. And is that something that y'all ever did? You know, I just love when we can find like commonalities 
in being witches and especially like in the witch kid experiences. So let me know if y'all ever did that. I know there's a variation on it too, which is starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might have the dream I wish tonight or so, there's like dream will be put in place of witch, witch. Oh my goodness. Wish. <laughs> I told y'all loopy, but um, yeah, I've, I've been doing it since I was teeny tiny. And of course, who did I learn it from? My mom, who is what? A witch in denial, as we all know. Uh, yeah, so let me know if you have any stories like that. If you know that one, if that's something that you always do, if you find yourself still doing it, if you've taught it to your kids now, or if you have any other little rhymes or spells or rituals that you have used in talking to the stars. Like, hey, shout out specifically my cosmic witches, because when I was doing that last night, I was like, you know, I want to work with stars more. And so I have this one little spell in my arsenal that I know about, but I would love to add more. So yeah, I was just thinking about all y'all when I did that, and I wanted to share it with you and see if that's something you do too. Because it's not just crazy when you find yourself doing these things you've done your entire life, and then you're like, oh, that's a, that's a witch thing. I was being a witch when I did that. I think it's just so cool. All right, so let's do our Patreon shoutouts. Just real quick to say thank you to all of our amazing patrons, and then we'll go on to our topic. I feel like you're so excited to find out what it is, and then you're going to be like, oh, that is really nerdy. <laughs> no, you're going to love it. You're going to love it, I promise. Okay, so an extra special thank you to Crystal, Maya, Aurora, Cassandra. Cassandra, let me know if it's Cassandra or Cassandra. I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Uh, Celine, Victoria, Adam, Brandy, Brent, Kelly, Kara, Alicia, Ashley, Emily, Nalling, Bree, Heidi, Katrina, Lena, Jennifer, Ashley, Vanessa, Sasha, Brett, Amber, Elizabeth, <coughs> sorry, Teresa, Alexis, Aaron, Carla, Shannon, and Amanda. Thank you so much for being patrons. It means so much to me. I appreciate the support so much. It really helps me to be able to do this podcast, uh, especially when I can't go to work. <laughs> It's like I'm supposed to, but I really appreciate it. Uh, whenever you're ready to claim your reading, if you're on a level that has a reading, just message me. You don't have to wait for me to reach out to you. You can uh, uh, DM me or email me, catch me wherever you want to, wherever you feel comfortable talking to me, and uh, we can do it then. And if you have ones that roll over, we can definitely do you know all of them at once if you want, or you can space them out throughout the month. Um, also, thank you so much to everyone that bought uh, merch during the sale that I had for the Facebook group and the sale that we had going on all of November. And doing your holiday shopping, it means a lot to me that you picked bad witch stuff to give us gifts. That I really, really appreciate that. All right, my loves. So this is what we're going to talk about this week. Originally, I kept thinking, I really, because, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're doing all this cooking, right? And we're doing all these recipes and, and just making stuff in the kitchen and being over a stove or a cauldron, whatever we're working with. And I was like, I really, really want to do an episode on potions and give you some potion recipes that we can work with especially, you know, winding down the year going into 2020 and we want to start on just like the best foot possible. So I'm writing down all of the potions that I work with and, you know, once they've been passed down to me, whether it be through like my mentors or through family members. And I am, you know, just researching stuff that I want to make sure that I include, you know, like I wanted to find um, a recipe, I'm going to call it a recipe, even though it's not something you ingest, but I wanted to find a recipe for uh, Florida water because I thought it would be great to include, but I have never made it myself personally. So, you know, I'm just poking around all kinds of corners of the interwebs, making sure we're going to have a great episode. And <laughs> in doing that... I'm thinking, what is the first time that potions ever occurred to me as a person, as a witch, but also just as a person? And keep in mind, in the back of my mind, I knew always when I wanted to finally get to an episode on potions that we were going to call it Double Double Toil and Trouble. Like, of course, that's what we're going to call it. So <laughs> I am like putting all this stuff together. And uh, side note, also, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but when I went to university, I majored in English literature. And uh, I specialized in Shakespeare, <laughs> which is where the nerdiness is going to start to come in. So I was like, we're going to call the episode Double Double Toil and Trouble, of course, because for me, when I was in fifth grade and we did our first, my first unit ever on Shakespeare, we did Macbeth and we did Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> which like, what? <laughs> Who teaches Macbeth to 10 and 11 year olds? This looks so wild. But I remember being in my fifth, in Miss Sadawa's fifth grade class in Louisiana and 
we did it because uh, it's act act one, scene three. So like the witches come up very early and this whole double, double toil and trouble comes up very early. And that was my first exposure ever to, not to witches and witchcraft, because like I said, the summer before I had gone to Salem for the first time and I knew I peeped game on what I was and what was going on. But it was the first time that the idea of potions entered my mind. And I was so obsessed with that scene. I, I am going to recite it for you later. I'm going to be totally honest. But I just remember, you know, it starts with double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn, and cauldron bubble, fillet of any steak in the cauldron, burn, and bake. I have new and tow frog, wool of bat, and tongue of dog, all that stuff. And I remember sitting in my fifth grade class and being like, where do I get this stuff? Like, <laughs> how do I get these ingredients? I'm going to recreate this like <laughs> Well, again, I'm in Louisiana, and so I have pine cones, uh, sweet grass, uh, those mimosa flowers, <laughs> like uh, uh, what, pine needles and, and pecans on the ground. That's the stuff I would usually go in the backyard and play with. But yeah, I was like, fillet a finny snake. Uh-huh, sounds totally reasonable. Where do I get it? And I just remember so, so clearly that when we were doing Macbeth, I was really obsessed with the witch's part. And I wanted to be able to read that part out loud. But, you know, you have to read it in unison with two other people. I was not happy about that. I wanted to be the star witch, obviously. And then when we got to the Romeo and Juliet unit, like, all the girls in my class were so excited about that. And they really wanted to play Juliet. And I was like, cool, you guys handle that. Let me know when we get to the death scenes in the end and the potions that they, you know, drink. Well, one of them drinks a potion. One of them is, like, you know, something a little more gruesome than that. But I'm all about this witch thing. So can we get back to Macbeth? <laughs> so yeah. And, and having like this memory of like, where did potions come from? When did they first enter my mind? I decided to put into the computer, double, double toil and trouble. Because I also wanted to make sure that I was remembering the monologue correctly. Because I did want to bring it up and talk about it a little bit. And then it turned into this whole thing. <laughs> and I started really digging deep. And I think that we have to talk about the witches in Macbeth. And that, that potion creating scene and how important they are as like the oracles of Macbeth and how they drive the plot. So it is, like I said, going to be some witchery and like placing witchcraft in that time period. And it's also going to be talking about them in literature and also how they're represented in plays and in movies because, you know, Macbeth has been created tens of times, you know, all kinds of places. So we're going to be talking about the Scottish play today. And you know what I honestly just realized? Because the day before I got sick was when I was really like kind of digging into all this stuff. And I went from, let me make sure I have all my potion stuff together to let me make sure I have all my Macbeth stuff together. And I kept saying it out loud, much like I am doing now. <laughs> and it's not supposed to be, you know, this is something that if you were inside of the theater, you're performing it, you're not supposed to say the name because Macbeth is supposed to be a cursed play. <laughs> so the question is, did I curse myself? Maybe. I mean, I haven't cursed a performance. But it's it's kind of, you know, cross your fingers. You're not supposed to say the name out loud. You're supposed to refer to it as the Scottish play. But here I am. I've said it 20 times now. So who knows what's going to happen next? Hopefully nothing bad. But did I give myself the flu? Maybe so. Oh, the thing I was going to say earlier, too, is I wonder if maybe I manifested the flu for myself because I was so deep into Thanksgiving and I knew I had this trip coming up. And I was like, oh, you know, I really just like would like to lose five pounds of just like some water weight and some bloat before I go because I have to take a bunch of pictures of myself. And, um, from thinking that and kind of obsessing over it a little bit, it became, well, now you have the flu and you've lost 10 pounds. So congratulations, witch. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I think I'm going, you know, I've already said it a hundred times, so I think I'm just going to keep going with Macbeth. And, uh, so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going before we get to potions, which is going to be next week. It's the same thing with Salem where I was like, I really want to talk about the Salem witch trials. But before I could talk about that, like the more I really got into it, I realized that I had to talk about all kinds of witch trials and where like the persecution the persecution of witches was even stemming from going all through Europe and other uh, continents and countries. And then really we had to start with Lilith, right? We had to go back to prehistory and go to the first witch. So it's the same thing. I wanted to start with potions, but I think we got to go and start with Shakespeare and double, double toil and trouble and this notion of potions and themselves and then come down to actually making our potions next week. So that is our nerdy ass topic for this week. I really hope you're going to enjoy it. Um, I, I really got a kick out of doing all the research and reading everything. And, you know, finally, after, let's see, I'm 32. I graduated when I was 21. So after 11 years, I'm finally going to put my English degree to use. So it is a win-win for all of us. 
Alrighty, babes, you know, I'm actually going to take a quick break because I am feeling a little uh, headachey coming on and a little weak, but uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay, so by just a few minutes, uh, I fell asleep for the night, <laughs> but I do feel better. Uh, my voice is still a little in and out. I do have a lot more coughing going on today, so I'm just warning y'all now. But um, I can walk around a little bit more. I can. I even made some food for myself that wasn't soup, so I'm doing pretty good. Uh, although we do have a cold front coming through tonight, so I don't know if it's just going to knock me back on my ass, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, so let's get into Macbeth um, and the witches, of course. This isn't. I'm not tricking you into like a literary podcast all of a sudden. Um, but I do want to say, I in all the studying I did of uh, Shakespeare, I was never the biggest fan of the tragedies, you know, cause in Shakespeare, it's like the tragedies end in death and the comedies end in marriage. That's kind of how we, we would separate them. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of marriage, as we all know, I, I like the brevity and the wit and the fun and, you know, the puns and the humor that there are in the comedies and the tragedies can just be so heavy. And when you're having to read it as opposed to seeing it, it makes a really big difference. So, you know, your King Lear's, your Hamlet's, your Richard III's, your um, your Macbeth's, I would always be like, oh my God, I was taking so, me so long to read through all five acts of this. And so I didn't, I don't know the tragedies as well as I know the comedies. Um, I mean, I can tell you everything you ever need to know about A Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> and maybe we could talk about that sometime because it it is chock full of some magic. I'll tell you that. But um, yeah, so I had to kind of go and really brush myself up on Macbeth. I remember the big things. I mean, who could ever forget Lady Macbeth? Who could, who could forget? She is such a bad bitch. It's crazy. <laughs> so of course, you know, I remember her. I remember Banquo. I remember his ghost. I remember Duncan and Malcolm and... Um, you know, Macduff and like these major players, but there was a lot of nuances that I kind of had to go back and be like, okay, so the witches said this when, and like, what act was this? And who killed Duncan? Oh, spoiler alert. There's a lot of murder in this. <laughs> well, there's at least that one big one, but yeah, there is some gruesomeness to it. But um, yeah, so it's, this is not a breakdown of Shakespeare's Macbeth. This is talking about the witches of Macbeth, but of course we have to talk about the text in which they are present. Just putting it out there. If you are a Shakespeare expert, you email me and you're like, Mickey, what the hell were you talking about? None of those things happened. Please remember, that was not my focus. And also, I have the flu. All right, so let's get into it. I'm stealing this from the podcast, The History Chicks. I really enjoy that because obviously I'm a history nerd. It's all coming out now. It's, listen, I can't hide it anymore. But they do this thing where before they go into the person they're talking about for the week, they'll set them into the time period that they're from. So you kind of just, you know, are starting to understand um, where to place them yourself. So that's what I'm going to do with this. <coughs> so when does Shakespeare write Macbeth? At the height of witch hysteria in 1606. So we know all about the 1600s, all about all the craziness that was going on. But let's revisit it for just a second. So this is a time when witches are blamed for causing everything. All maladies, uh, plagues, death, crop failure, livestock. Uh, I was going to say livestock failure. I don't think that's how it works. Livestock death, livestock death, um, disasters, if you will, just any bad, any misfortune that would hit an area, who are you going to blame? The witches, of course. And by extension of that, you are blaming the old, you are blaming the outsiders of society, you are blaming the witches. And we all know that stems back to uh, the patriarchy, one of our <laughs> favorite topics. And it also stems back to, you know, like class disparity and thinking less of people because they have less than you. So we're at the height of witch hysteria, 1606. And let's remember also that in this time period, uh, witchcraft in particular, or not in particular, but specifically meant consorting with the devil. Like you could put witchcraft on one side and equal sign and consorting with the devil on the other side, which is <coughs> how I wrote my notes because they really did equal out each other to, in that time period. You know, now we have a very different view of witchcraft, thankfully, and we've gotten a better rep since then and our PR is a little bit better. But it that was what the fear of witchcraft, as we talk about, was based on. It was based on uh, witches' relationship to the devil. And in fact, Shakespeare 
in the very first, so the witches open up the play, right? That's the very first thing you see. There's rain, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's this ominous feeling. And then you see these three, well, it depends. It de if you're reading it, you, <laughs> you get one description, which we'll talk about in a bit. But if you're seeing it, that's something I actually love about Macbeth, even though I don't love it altogether. <laughs> it's not my favorite one. I do love the way that directors will take it upon themselves to interpret the witches because you'll have anything from like three drag queens to like three uh, school girls that are like goth girls at school, like hello, the craft kind of people. Um, like the three, like uh, without Sarah, like the original three. <laughs> I don't think Sarah would have been down with whatever craziness they had going on. <laughs> or you'll have, um, you know, just, just these like wonderful, brilliant, creative interpretations of these three witches, but they are opening the play. And no matter how the director has chosen to show them to that audience and for that telling of the story, you still do have this ominousness that goes throughout. And it starts with the rain and the lightning and the implication that, uh, or the inference, I guess would be the better word that the witches are the ones causing this. Like they, are not only setting this ominous tone, but they are like bewitching you into this kind of ominous feeling and they're controlling the weather and they're controlling the audience from that very moment. So, you know, I actually, maybe actually I really do like Macbeth. <laughs> I do like the witch part. <laughs> if they could just pull out the witch performances and text, I think I would like it a lot more. But anyway, back to this, you know, witchcraft being, or witchcraft equaling consorting with the devil. Shakespeare reinforces this early on in Act 1, Scene 1, because there is mention of um, Grey Malkin and Paddock, which are a gray cat and a toad, and they are essentially familiars. And we again, thinking in the 1600s sense of familiars and not what we know of them today, this is the literal devil taking a literal form of an animal to be able to suckle from a witch. And, you know, the third nipple, which is one of the signs of a witch that they would look for any kind of you know, body abnormalities that today we'd be like, well, yeah, that person just has that, you know, people have all kinds of different people have third nipples. That's not weird. You know, back then having that, having a witch's mark, having a birthmark, moles, things like that. Or I think also they believe that, um, familiars could suckle from moles as well. Isn't that just what people used to believe? <laughs> it's just crazy. But, uh, you know, any marks like that were considered devil's mark or witch's marks. And that was either where he would connect to you or he had touched you. Um, so yeah, Shakespeare reinforces that early, early on because we have this appearance of familiar. So he's setting up the audience to be like, the connection is there. Understand that these uh, three creatures, because I, I even hesitate to call them women because they're not always portrayed as women, even though they're referred to as weird sisters. Um, be aware that they are exactly what you think they are, that they are witches and they represent evil. So we're off to a great start, if you ask me. <laughs> so... <clears throat> let's move away from the text and the literature for a second and talk about what's happening at this point of time in history, which is that King James VI of Scotland, who goes on to become King James of Wales and England. Yes, that's right. That King James, who is a very odd bird. Um, he is, oh, Scotland, by the way, keep that in mind. Um, he is legitimately concerned with witches and the practice of witchcraft. In fact, he he literally believes that witches were trying to kill him and um, they attempted to kill him by drowning on one particularly, particularly bad journey it had at sea. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in the ocean or watched like Deadliest Catch or anything, but the seas and the oceans can be very scary and very treacherous. <laughs> but instead of, you know, the 1600s theory is instead of saying, yes, water can be very dangerous, you can drown, especially you know, just in these boats that we have at the time, and we don't know that as much about navigation and about safety and all of these things. Instead of thinking, you know, the, the sea is a naturally dangerous habitat. Let's go with witches are definitely trying to drown me. <laughs> so that's where we're at. <clears throat> you know, it really is this, the way that people feared witches back then. And I, I kind of realized it more when I was putting this episode together, as opposed to the other witchery uh, episodes. It's that we tend to think of people fearing witches in the way that we fear vampires and ghosts and ghouls. Like it's a fear that's more in our imagination of things that we can't see, that we don't know actually exist, that we don't have tangible proof of. I mean, I do think vampires exist now because I've watched so much True Blood, but that could honestly <laughs> just be wishful thinking because I think they're really glamorous and cool and I low-key want to be, it's not even low-key, I kind of want to be one. <laughs> 
even though <coughs> every vampire show I watch, because I think I talked about what we do in the shadows last week, they uh, have a very poor relationship with witches. So I probably couldn't be both at the same time. And I, I pick witch, obviously. But uh, yeah, these it's a fear that's in our minds, you know, like really of things that go bump in the night, you know, things that it's just, it's not necessarily a tangible fear. It's that I'm afraid that when I turn my light off at night, there might be something in the corner that I can't see, but then I turn on my light and nothing's there. Or, you know, during the daytime, I'm fine. I just happen to watch a scary movie. So my senses are a little heightened, but in the 1600s in Europe and, you know, all throughout these places where they had this kind of witch hysteria, the fear is a day to day reality. Like they're, People believe that witches 100% walk amongst them and that they could fall prey to them at any time. So I know in 2019, when we talk about a literal king being terrified of witches, it sounds a bit silly to us because it's like, what are you afraid of? You know, like we can't understand that kind of fear of something like this because it would be like if, let me not make that, it would be, <laughs> it would be like if Congress passed a resolution to say, um, you know, any, any vampires out there will be executed if found because vampires don't exist, you know, as far as we know, you know, maybe they'll come out of the coffin like on true blood. I don't know. Uh, strike this from the record if that ever happens, but it's, it sounds like to us crazy if Congress passed something like that, like, Oh, vampires will be persecuted. Ghosts will be persecuted. And so to you know, for us in, in this time period, it sounds really crazy to think about the fact that this was taken so seriously and it was such a fear and it was such a dangerous time period that literally people were executed for it. People were literally killed. But that's what I'm trying to drive home is like the fear was so real and it was a day-to-day -day fear that people lived with. You know, I think in the way that we fear getting sick or especially in America, we fear gun violence, you know, that's the kind of fear that these people were living with. And that's why we see in 1606, the same year that, <coughs> I'm sorry, 1604, that King James uh, makes witchcraft a capital offense. L literally. So you are accused of witchcraft and capital offense means that if you were found guilty of something, then execution is on the table. So yeah, I, it just kind of struck me this time that I, I hadn't really focused on the fear aspect of it and how much the fear drives the persecutions and the punishments that came in that time period. And not just the fear that like this is evil and associated with the devil, but like my day-to-day -day fear that if I piss off my neighbor and my neighbor happens to be a witch and then I am now susceptible to death, illness, losing my family. You know, it's, it's so much deeper than I think we ever kind of understand it to be. And not to say that that excuses it at all because people were literally put to death for no reason. And that's horrible. But I think it makes us understand the time period a little bit better when we understand how the fear of this actually functions and not just like, Ooh, I'm so afraid of witches, you know, like, no, they were afraid. And that's where all of this madness and hysteria was really coming from fear stokes those fires just, just until the flame is totally out of control, you know, and then everything's burnt to the ground. So yeah, I just wanted to make a quick or wasn't that quick note on fear in that time period that was leading to all of this. And that's why Shakespeare was able to utilize the witches to create this sense of fear and this ominousness that runs throughout the entire play. <clears throat> I always kind of take stops and go back and listen to what I'm recording while I'm doing it to make sure it's okay. <laughs> because my voice is at such a low pitch and I'm speaking, you know, much more softly than I normally do. I just realized how ominous that whole part sounded. You know, talking about fear and, and being afraid and, and things that are scary, of course that can be ominous. And Macbeth is a heavy-ass play with heavy-ass themes. But <laughs> I also kind of to bring some lightness into it and not Shakespeare just using these three witches, these three, you know, weird sisters to make people afraid. It really also, and I think more so, was about tapping into our kind of the devilishness in all of us and our inherent fascination with things that we're not supposed to be fascinated by, you know, things like you, you put your hand over your eyes and you look away, but then you spread your fingers and take a peek, you know, <laughs> like in this time period, even though witches were a day to day kind of fear for people, it's also like you want to look and you you're intrigued by it and it's, it's fascinating to you. So yeah, it's not just all heavy fear and we're trying to scare the audience <laughs> and all this 
craziness. But it also is like, I'm a little fascinated by this. This thing is not like me. There's something otherworldly and I can't take my eyes away. And I know I shouldn't, I know I should avert my eyes, but I almost just want to stare all day long, you know? And so I, I think it's brilliant that the witches are the first thing you see and that they really do drive the plot of this entire, this entire tragedy. They're, I think it is more about fascination than fear, ultimately. So just also wanted to note that because I realized with the temper of my voice right now, I sounded insane. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Act 1, Scene 3, because this, <laughs> I just think it sets a good tone for what we're dealing with. So there's our three witches, right? And one of the witches is upset because she saw a woman on the road and the woman was eating some chestnuts and the witch was like, hey gimme. And the woman was like, uh-uh, I don't think so, honey. And so she goes back to her two other sisters and she's like, this chick wouldn't give me any chestnuts. Can you believe this? And basically sets up a spell with her sisters to, um, to punish the wife of, uh, the, no, the husband of the wife, the husband of the woman, there we go, who wouldn't give her the chestnuts, who was a sailor. And so they go through this whole spiel that they're going to curse his sleep so he gets no rest, that they will <clears throat> curse him with choppy and dangerous waters, and that he will never find safe harbor anywhere. So I wanted to talk about this part because Shakespeare really <laughs> is about showing the vindictive and petty nature of the witches throughout this, which leads us to the question ultimately of, are the witches kind of driving this whole plot and everything that Macbeth does and really plays on his ambition and kind of his male ego and his entitlement to make everything happen within the play? Or are they truly just, you know, sisters that are capable of prophecy and of divination? And so what they foresee is what they foretold. I think it's an interesting way to look at it. And I think it's kind of cool to think about it as not that they just said, okay, this is what's going to happen. Like, you know, best of luck, pal. <laughs> but really, they put all of this stuff into play as part of kind of bewitching all of us. And they are the most important characters. And they really do drive this entire plot. And is it towards an evil end? And is it towards kind of destruction for Macbeth and Lady Macbeth? Definitely. But kind of for the greater good of Scotland? I would say not necessarily. I don't know. There's so many theories you can go through, obviously, because I'm going through literally all of them. But, you know, it's because they're so, they're so categorized and stereotyped as evil figures, as evidenced by the switch being like, that bitch didn't give me any chestnuts, so it's on, <laughs> you know? But do they do all this through the course of the play because they know that Macbeth isn't ultimately worthy of the Scottish crown and of leading people? He just he doesn't have any of those good leadership leadership traits in him. And so they kind of try to correct everything in the end, even though it appears to be acts of evil throughout. I don't know. Just something to think about, if any of that even makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, also, I thought it was, you know, Shakespeare is a very clever writer and he will make allusions in real time to him that we know to be what's actually going on as we learn history in present day. And so to have this sailor figure that we don't ever meet, but to be, you know, the unfortunate spouse of this woman with the chestnuts, uh, being cursed by these witches to then uh, encounter choppy seas and to not find safe harbor. And essentially they're leading him on to drown, right? This is the same thing that King James believes that has happened to him. So Shakespeare has put that in to make kind of the connection and to acknowledge that the witches do do this kind of thing, you know, to, I, I feel like King James would have seen that perform and be like, yes, I feel so seen. <laughs> you know? That's another reason I wanted to bring that uh, particular instance up. And we are going to come back to King James at the end of it all. I mean, don't we always? Okay, so also something else that's important that scene before I forget is that Shakespeare, after the witch is like, this is what I'm going to do to this sailor husband, you know, because I really, chestnuts are my favorite. <laughs> he has all three sisters chant the spell together three times, and he has them chanted each time facing um, one, one, two, three of the cardinal directions, which is going to lead me into a section called, was Shakespeare a witch? Because <laughs> he kind of like knows a little bit more than I feel like your average person would during that time period. I mean, yes, a lot of the time he is dealing with common held beliefs and stereotypes about witches, but I don't know. There is like, there's some witchiness going on. And once we get to the language, you're going to see what I'm talking about. So things that Shakespeare included that were prevalent in the early 1600s and beliefs about witchcraft. These are the ones that I consider to be good. 
our abilities, the fact that we can do spells, that we can make potions. I mean, hello, double, double toil and trouble. We're going to get there. That is, I think, the most famous part of the witches in Macbeth, if not the most famous part of Macbeth. And also, I know I forgot to say it earlier, but one of the most iconic Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, or Mary Kate Olsen and Ashley Olsen, excuse me, movies of all time. <laughs> Um, our divination, our premonitions, our ability for prophecy, and our connection and control with the elements, being elemental witches, our connection to nature. He highlights all of those things. And I don't, I, I know that in 1600s, when everyone had palpable fear of witches, all of those things would have been, still been seen as negatives. And they would have been seen as, you know, things that were given to us by the devil and proof of, of us consorting with evil. But to me, those are all positive attributes. <laughs> so I say more power to us to have that kind of representation in Macbeth. Now, the things that I consider to be bad representations of us, harming animals, of course, actively trying to create chaos, which I hope we're not out there doing, um, using human and animal body parts and magic in kind of gruesome and violent ways. Hope none of us are out there doing that. And also just this sense, again, of inherent evil that are the witches kind of driving this whole plot for their amusement and to create this chaos? Or are they doing it to serve a greater good at the end? Or are they just saying, this is what's going to happen? You know, it bees like that. <laughs> so <clears throat> those are all the different aspects of witchcraft that he's portraying, which I was like, I don't know, Shakespeare, it seems a little witchy that you know so much in depth about this and like turning in the certain directions and like the repetition of spells and the power of three times, right? And then we get to the language of the witches. Now, full disclosure, when I was studying Shakespeare, um, the language was the thing I always had the hardest time with. To this day, the only thing I remember is iambic pentameter, and I don't even remember exactly what it means. It has something to do with like the fifth syllable. That's all I got. <laughs> I ain't got no more. That's all I got. But when you hear the speech of the witches, you can tell that it is different from the speech of the, I kind of call them the human speakers because these witches truly are otherworldly as opposed to, I mean, I think we have otherworldly abilities, but I do consider us human. <laughs> but I, I think of the witches in the play as being just from, from some other stratosphere pretty much. But so it really does separate them and it does give them this otherworldly kind of shroud and atmosphere and it just again is reinforcing that this is different from what everything else that you're seeing in the play and this can give you that fear fascination feeling again so the witches speak in rhyming couplets and in trochaic meter don't ask me what that means <laughs> but the other speakers in the play the humans uh speak in iambic meter and again they speak in unrhymed speech so for us it's that same cadence that we use for spell work so uh what's that spell that love spell <clears throat> it's uh oh venus answer my plea bring so and so where i plan to be one couplet when we finally talk and share let your magic fill the air that's the second couplet so it's like a pair of uh phrases and then it rhymes at the end and that is the cadence that we use for spell work so that's why i'm like oh no shakespeare you know some witchy secrets <laughs> like what's going on here and so yeah with uh, within the whole play actually and i think with like the double double toil and trouble fire burning cauldron bubble fillet of finny snake and the cauldron boil and bake i think that was the first time for me as well not just really coming online about potions but it was also me coming online about the way that we recite spells and the way that we write spells and the way that we say spells well that's recite and say at the same time let's have one write spell i'm saying spell too much write recite What's, I'm missing one. Oh, and here, that's how we hear spells. And so I think hearing those rhyming couplets was the first time I put together, oh, this is how I could write my own spells. They kind of need to sound like this. So, I mean, I'm not saying Shakespeare is a witch, but like I am saying it. <laughs> or, or he was in the know in some way. And also, you know, this man wrote an infinite number of the most important, or not the most important, but you know, what is considered some of the most important literature of all time. Like he had to have some magical assistance. If you ask me, he never even left England, you know? Well, there is also the theory that Shakespeare was multiple people or that it was, you know, a nom de plume for one person who was very well-traveled and kind of a bon vivant of it all. But we, we're not going to get into all that. But yeah, I think Shakespeare is a witch basically. <laughs> Okay, and so let's talk about the appearances of the witches finally. Um, so of course they're old hags, so they are my people. 
And uh, the way that they're described by Banquo, I believe, is that they are withered. They are unearthly. That's that word again. They have skinny lips. They have gnarled fingers. And they have beards. So, you know, it's a look. <laughs> like I said, if you want to look up different versions of um, Macbeth and what different directors and actors have done with it, it's really the coolest part to see how they interpret the witches because you will just get the most amazing variety. And, you know, it won't always be our hag idea of what a witch is. It will be, like I said, you know, sometimes it's drag queens, sometimes it's teenage girls, uh, sometimes it's three goths, sometimes it's like three suburban moms. It really just depends on what production you're seeing. Uh, and so I think that's pretty cool. All right. So, oh, speaking of productions there, I was trying to remember, did y'all ever watch this maybe in high school where the three, I almost said the three hags. That's so rude. As a hag myself, I, I don't think it's rude, but I mean, as the three witches, <laughs> I remember I thought seeing a production where they all shared one eye, but I think I actually was thinking of the Grey sisters, um, like the Fate sisters from Greek mythology, where they all shared a single eye and a single tooth, and like the eye was kind of all seeing for the fates of people, and so they were sought out. And then I was like, wait, were the witches in Macbeth also the ones that would pull and cut the thread that would determine the length of someone's life? But that was the Marae or the Marae, I believe, also from mythology. <laughs> so all that to say, obviously, you can see the influences in Shakespeare's writing um, and of these witch archetypes again through literal Greek, the times of the Greeks and Romans and Greek mythology and Roman mythology down into Shakespeare time. And then here we are still existing today. So, you know, as I pointed out before, we've been here forever, baby, and we will be here at the end. <laughs> That's how I, I feel we're going to take over the world one day. Um, yeah, but I, I can't remember if I'm just thinking of learning about the Grey Sisters, or if there is some version that I watch where they were all sharing the single eye and kind of fighting back and forth about it. Or if I was watching like, uh, what's that? Not Remember the Titans. That's the football movie. Clash of the Titans, maybe. And I saw them. I don't know. If you saw a production of Macbeth, you know what I'm talking about. You're like, yeah, that's what you saw. Let me know. If not, this could have just been a flu fever dream that I'm thinking of. <coughs> Honestly. Okay. So let's actually go over the prophecies. I hope y'all like this episode. <laughs> I'm like having like a real literature history, like nerd moment. Please just stick with me. Um, so, okay. So these are the prophecies that the witches have uh, foreseen for Macbeth and for Banquo to an extent. So Macbeth encounters the three witches and um, they're like, listen, here's the tea. So they prophesize, well, he meets them once and they give him basically all the things that he wants to hear. And then he meets them again and they're like, okay, well, here's the flips side of all of that. Whoops. <laughs> so, um, these, but these are like major plot points throughout the play. They kind of reveal the whole play through their prophecy and then we see how it acts out. So one is, um, Macbeth, Macbeth will be the Thane of Cador, Cador, and he will eventually be the King of Scotland. Uh, quick, you know, spoiler alert, he becomes the King of Scotland because he kills Duncan, um, very much at the insistence of Lady Macbeth who, uh, like I said, is a bad bitch. <laughs> uh, so then there's that Banquo's children will become kings, that Macbeth should beware Macduff, that Macbeth cannot be harmed by anyone born a woman. So this is really important because uh, we have these two prophecies that are really demonstrating kind of doublespeak. I, I'm not really sure the right word to use for that. But because Macbeth, Things. okay, well, duh, obviously all people that were ever born are born from a woman, so I'm untouchable. <laughs> That's one of the things that sets up his ego and his entitlement and his ambition. If you really believe you can't be taken down, you can't be touched, there's no one born a woman, there's no one on this planet who can take you down. You know, of course you kind of put this mad plan into action that you have. So that's the first one where the witches do tell him plainly that no one born of woman can 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 do anything to him, which isn't wrong, but he interprets it way, way, way too literally. And then the next one is that Macbeth's downfall will come when great Burnham Wood to high Dunstanane shall come. So Macbeth again is thinking, well, I mean, forests can't get up and go anywhere. You know, trees can't walk up to my front door. 
or can they? So I'm good, baby. Like my downfall will then never come because a forest, a forest can't get up and move anywhere. I'm not going to open my door the next day and it'll be like, oh, hey, trees, hey, squirrels, hey, leaves, what's up? <laughs> so with these two prophecies, even though they are saying that, well, not so much the no man or no one born of woman one, but the, um, that your downfall will come when this thing happens, even though the world of down, the word of downfall is right there in it. He's still like, well, Forrest can't move. So it's all cool here. <laughs> oh, but is he wrong? So if we go back to the prophecy of Beware Macduff, I feel like the witches were actually trying to do him a kindness there and be like, hey, listen, dude, don't just be such a man. And only, you know, I send you a text with a whole full paragraph and you answer one part of it. Listen to what we're telling you. Beware Macduff. And Macduff, we find out through the course of the play is not born of woman as in he was not born from a vaginal delivery. He was born as a result of a cesarean section. Cesarean section. Why did I say it like that? I know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> so that when they're saying that, um, when they're saying that his, uh, Macbeth cannot be harmed by anyone that is born of woman, that doesn't apply to Macduff, the person they literally told you to beware of because he was not, you know, born in that way. He was, I think they even used the term, the, the phrase like ripped from my mother's womb or something like that. So like I said, he takes it very literally, but they're saying it's not that he wasn't, you know, conceived by a man and a woman. It wasn't that he does not have a mother. It's simply that he was not passed through in the vaginal sense of delivery. So there got you number one. And then um, for Great Barnum Wood coming to Densonade. So when Malcolm, who is uh, King Duncan's son and is going to uh, go on to become the king of Scotland and re reclaim his rightful throne, as he should, because Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are on some bullshit, <laughs> um, he has his soldiers and they are marching back towards Dunsinane and they are coming through Great Burnham Wood and they take down um, like branches from trees to kind of camouflage themselves while they're on their progress going up there to kind of have this last battle. And so the wood is coming to his door. You know, I, I was trying to remember, because it's been so long since I read Macbeth or seen any production of, of it. And I was like, was it that they made their shields out of the wood from the forest or something like that? But when I went back and looked it up, it said that they were kind of pulling down the branches and carrying it with them to kind of uh, camouflage themselves. So again, obviously... Macbeth, you big dope, you're not a forest, is it going to get up and walk up to your castle's door or your fortress's door? But if people are pulling down branches, it's like the trees are making progress up to you. And so that is how it's arriving to you. But, you know, even though the witches, they're not saying exactly what's happening, they are saying exactly what's happening. And he it's really that Macbeth is so blinded at this point by what he wants and his ambition. Ambition is like the number one theme of this play that he isn't heeding any of the warnings they give. So once again, I feel like Shakespeare who may or may not be a witch <laughs> is putting this shroud of kind of this idea of uh, evilness and witchcraft being evil around the witches. But really, I mean, they're speaking very plainly. They're telling him exactly what's going to happen. He really could have protected himself had he really listened and not been so consumed by all of these evil elements that are more a part of him as a human being than these kind of otherworldly magical creatures. I'm just saying. So those are the prophecies. Oh, and to go back to the one about uh, Banquo's children will become kings. It is believed that um, this is another allusion to <coughs> King James, uh, just like, you know, the sailor being tossed about by the witches and being like, yeah, King James, those witches are totally bad. They're always trying to drown people. Um, it is believed that uh, King James is a descendant of Banquo. So it is kind of a nod again from Shakespeare to be like, and then all was right because Banquo's descendants all went on to rule Europe, you know? <laughs> so King James would have been very pleased by that and maybe gone on to, uh, you know, fund another play or been a patron of the theater and he would have been in the King's good graces. So I, it's just kind of interesting, like the politics of all of this. So yeah, Banquo, oh, Banquo, he gets killed. His ghost appears to Macbeth. Macbeth is like, can't you see this ghost is haunting me? And everyone's like, no, dude, you gotta chill out. And, you know, it's, drives him into this descent of madness and Lady Macbeth obviously has her own descent into madness and 
she can't get the blood, the out damn spot out, I say, and she's seeing the blood of all the people that she has killed in this pursuit of her own ambition. And so a tragic ending is met by all. And like I told y'all before, tragedy in uh, Shakespeare's language means that a play ends in death, whereas a comedy ends in marriage. So this definitely ends in a lot of death. But, um, you know, the witches are the most important part. <laughs> that is really what I pulled out of this. It's not just because fifth grade me was like, I'm sorry, what's that? There's a play with witches in it and I can read it out loud and I'm going to learn about this potion that I'm going to make at home if I can ever find a finny snake. <laughs> Let's do this. All right. So that's pretty much all of Macbeth in a very, very tight nutshell. But let's go back to the potion real quick because, you know, we got to lead into our potions for next week. But thank you for humoring me for my discussion of Macbeth and the witch's role in it because I am very, very fascinated about how witches are portrayed in literature and in the media and in pop culture and within all of that, how it has affected our history or how our history has been affected by it. So I'm going to read you a little something. But not without disclaimer, because again, this was written in the 1600s. And so <laughs> there are about five lines I'm going to skip because they make disparaging remarks and reinforce stereotypes about certain ethnic groups, about sex workers, about um, certain religious groups, and about, am I missing anyone? And about people of different races. And, you know, I understand being committed to the original text, but I don't believe those stereotypes and I don't want to reinforce them. So I'm just not going to say them here. If you want to go look it up, I can't stop you. If you know the original text, you already know how awful it is. <laughs> so we're just going to skip that part. You know, just because we're witches doesn't mean we have to be terrible. So I'm just going to start when they all come in with the DDTNT and I'll skip out the little section right there. So double, double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, fillet of finny snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blind worm sting, lizard's leg and owlet's wing, for charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth boil and bubble, double double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble, scale of dragon, tooth of wolf, witch's mummy, maw and gulf, of the raven, salt sea shark, root of hemlock, digs eye the dark, skip, 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 <laughs> make the gruel thick and slab, Add thereto a tiger's cauldron. I always have trouble with that word. For the ingredients of our cauldron. Double, double, toil and trouble. Fire burn and cauldron bubble. Cool it with a baboon's blood. Tell the charm is firm and good. So yeah, that is where potions entered the world for me. And just the thought of these three witches, these three magical creatures, these magical beings sitting over this big black cauldron and having, you know, literally they're adding these ingredients and it's all bubbling together and there's smoke filling out of it. And who even knows what color is so, so fantastic the color must be. And that was when I was like, oh, I want to make a potion. <laughs> like, this sounds really cool. I told you, I wasn't the biggest fan of Macbeth. I think it's a little wild that in fifth grade at 10 and 11, we were reading Macbeth because the themes are heavy as hell, but literally heavy as hell. <laughs> Speaking of hell broths, but coming online about potions and like, I even, I even think I was like trying to write down like Owlet's Wing uh, Adler's fork, Blimer's, like, what do these words mean? Where do I get this so I can make this at home? And so it really was an important part of my witchy journey. And I think that the potion making and this, the chanting of this spell and double, double toil and trouble is so important to us culturally. It's so important to literature. It's so important to us as witches. So I just think it's this really phenomenal moment. And that's why I thought, let me start with Shakespeare's potion because I think we all have a sense of that. And then we can go on to making our own potions next week. You know, even when you think about Halloween and, you know, we'll have witches brew and things like that, that people make, you know, that aren't witches at all, but it'll be something that's green or purple and they'll put dry ice so it smokes. I just love the idea of potion making and my love for it started with reading Macbeth and then and going back and looking back and being like, yeah, there are witches in Macbeth. What's their deal again? Being like, holy moly, they're like the most important part of it all. So, um... Yeah, you know, even I told y'all before, 1997 was a big year for your girl because that was the year I went to Salem and that was the year I saw the craft for the first time. And, you know, maybe it is something about 10, 20, 30 in those 10 year increments because 30 was when this all started happening for me again, like I've told y'all a million times. 
But um, it was also that year that I made my coven in fifth grade, and then we all got in trouble because we weren't including everyone. <laughs> Not that we made a coven that we were calling ourselves witches. It was that we weren't letting everyone be witches with us. Let, let me remind you. <coughs> but, <coughs> excuse me, y'all. Um this was part of it. I mean, I remember sitting with my three other friends and not just doing the earth, air, fire, water, water, what, you know, and all that. And, uh, not just, you know, I'd rather rush upon this blade, the speech I can never remember since <laughs> a while, but sitting there and coming up with our own potions. And it was so influenced by, you know, the witches in Macbeth and by Shakespeare as an extension of that, who is a witch, you know, I think we've confirmed it, <laughs> but, or at least somebody in there knew something about witchcraft, right? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I remember we would, what did we have in Louisiana? Like I said, pecans, uh, magnolia flowers, grass, uh, pine needles, pine cones, and we would sit and kind of make the same thing. So yeah, it was a huge influence on me. And I think it's a huge influence on all of us and how we picture witches and knowing that potion making is so intrinsic to like the witch identity. And that's something we know as a culture and as a society, because Shakespeare has such a huge influence on us. So I hope you enjoyed our walk down literary history lane. <laughs> and we'll definitely be getting into making our potions next week. Um, I'm gonna try, let me not even say that because who even knows how I'll be feeling next week. But we'll definitely be back with another episode. I promise. Well, yeah, I promise we'll do it. <laughs> even after the have to cough my way through that one too. Um, so let's do our crystal of the week and then I uh, will get onto your homework and then we will wrap this one up. I am getting to the point cause we're like 46, 47, 48 episodes in where I'm like, did I do this crystal before? <laughs> it's been in my mind. I know I've been meaning to do it. I'm not, I have to go back and catalog all of them, which of course I should have been doing from the beginning, but also <coughs> I'm a bad witch. So I didn't do that. <laughs> but, um, and thinking about just, you know, not, our topic necessarily, but in it being like cold and flu season for a lot of us, me, obviously, um, I was thinking about crystals for healing. And so I wanted to do green aventurine. Uh, I don't think we've done this one yet. If we have, we'll just revisit it because it's a wonderful stone, not just for health and healing, but also for luck and prosperity. It's one of our beautiful green stones. So it brings us so much abundance and it brings us, you know, confidence and power and financial success encourage and it helps us to like nail job interviews and all kinds of things it stokes our creativity it helps us to kind of expand our imagination so it's a really wonderful stone but in regards to healing it really helps you to achieve balance inside and out and uh really with balance with like the circulatory system and with the um balance with your chakras which we all know if they're out of whack you go out of whack as well <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing because I'm definitely out of whack right now. I know my chakras are kind of to blame. Um, <coughs> also helps with general circulation, um, with the lungs, with the sinuses, with uh, all kinds of congestive issues that you may be ha congestion issues you may be having, which is like the number one culprit for me overall. I feel like all of my colds and flus start as a sinus thing, and then they're like, okay, but what if we got ten times worse from here? <laughs> Or like my upper respiratory infection. Like, you know, let's start with like a sniffle and then let's just go out of bounds from there. So um, I'm going to be holding on to mine extra tight because I'm really trying to clear out this congestion. I really want my lungs and my cough to, or I want my lungs to go back to functioning 100%. That was actually, when I was saying earlier, I did like my starlight, star bright wish when I saw my star outside uh, yesterday or whenever that was. I can't remember. I don't know what day it is. Um, that's what I was wishing for was to be restored back to like perfect health or to 100% health for me and to be, you know, go beyond that. So I'm going to be holding on to mine, hoping that my system balances itself out, that this virus finish, finishes working its way out of my system, that um, my circulation improves. And that's not just like my blood circulation, but just like my circulatory system, all the processes in my body working together and some aren't being underloaded, overloaded and some aren't underperforming because I'm out of whack right now. And, uh, yeah, that my sinuses, that those headaches that I'm getting just back up away from me <laughs> so I can go into Yule and into Christmas and, you know, into New Year and 2020 and all these amazing places and things that we're going to do individually and together as a coven that I'm, I'm prepared for it and I'm healthy again. I was going to say healthy and happy, but I'm very happy. I'm just not super healthy right now, but that's okay. You know, we all get sick. It's not the most fun, but sometimes 
it's necessary because it does force us to slow down a little bit. And maybe I think that's what I needed. It's December. It's 2019. It's been a crazy year. Obviously started this podcast this year. I still have my, you know, job with, not job with Instagram, but dealing with Instagram. I've traveled about a thousand times. Yeah. Maybe I needed to just sit my ass down and not get out you know, maybe I said Macbeth too many times. Maybe I was concentrating too hard on losing five pounds and manifested this for myself. And maybe my body and my spirit and the universe is being like, girl, just chill out because you have even more amazing things coming in 2020. And I believe that I do. And I believe that we all do because, you know, at the end of the day, even though we're bad witches, we 100% deserve good. So if you're feeling a little under the weather, definitely go to your doctor. <laughs> you know, Don't just think crystals will heal you. But go to your doctor, take your medicine, follow those instructions, you know, eat well, get your herbs, get your, uh, uh, you know, your medicine, but also get your uh, Ayurvedic or your witchy remedies that serve you well and hold on to your Aventurine and maybe that will help with your sinuses and your lungs and your congestion and your, your uh, balance as well. And while you have it, since one of our powerful green stones, it'll probably bring you some good luck and some prosperity and abundance going into the new year. And I think we could all use a little bit of that. Okay. I feel like I am literally fading away. <laughs> so let me just give you your homework, which is I am expecting a term paper on Macbeth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine how <laughs> did I give you this episode on like literature and history? But then I'm like, okay, I want a four page term paper, single spaced and work cited. No, 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 not at all. Really. I just want y'all to start looking into potions for next week, just to get a little jump start on it. If it's not something you have really worked with before, you know, just read up a little bit on it. And, um, then by the time we get to the episode, when I say, okay, your homework is make a potion, you'll feel really confident and prepared about doing it. And then we can all do it, you know, not together at the same time, but we can all do it together over the course of the week and kind of, you know, give our magic to each other and show off what we come up with and the results. So yeah, just start looking into potions. I mean, if you want to go and watch, uh, Macbeth, the one with Michael Fassbender and, uh, Marion Cotillard is a beautiful one. It is it's kind of hard to get through because it is like to the text. And if you aren't used to listening to Shakespeare, I am used to listening to Shakespeare and I'm still like, Oh my God, <laughs> it is a very beautiful version. If you'd like to dig into it deeper, um, I would suggest that, or if you just want to watch the witches, uh, scene for act one of double, double toil and trouble, it's all over YouTube and it's fun to see the different interpretations for sure. There's actually a few like operatic and choral interpretations that I found that, um, you know, I have my, music sensitivity, so I can't really listen to them, but they looked very cool. If you would like to see just different ways they've been uh, performed, you know, in different venues. And I saw that the Sydney or Melbourne theater company, and I think the Globe had a couple online too. So I mean, like talking about going to the source, if you can see Globe performances of it, that'd be awesome. So yeah, um, you don't have to watch Macbeth. You don't have to give me a term paper on it. But if you were intrigued by this episode, I'd say give it a little dip because it is, it's a pretty wicked play. The more I think about it. In fact, <laughs> One of my favorite lines ever in in all of literature and all of culture is something wicked this way comes, which is from Macbeth. One of the witches says it. So, I mean, yeah, dip in if you feel like it. But if not, just start getting your little fingies ready for potions because we're going to be all about that next week. And we're going to make some really cool ones. And <clears throat> maybe I can make one for like uh, keeping calm during the holidays so you don't curse out any of your uh, relatives that have horrible political views or something. I don't know. I'll come up with a few. And if you have any you'd like me to share, I of course will give you credit and go ahead and send them in to me. And so I will read them to everyone next week. But yeah, uh, until next week, the answer for the group is the craft. I think I said that at the beginning. I can't even remember at this point. Um, the Witch podcast at gmail.com. If you want to get me, I am very behind on emails. I'll be totally honest, but I'm trying to get through all of them before the end of the year. Um, patreon.com slash witch and we have readings and shout outs and bonus episodes and witchy mail and all kinds of good stuff and uh, teespring we still have a ton of merch up um, I'm going to be putting out some new merch at the beginning of the year so keep an eye out for that okay literally I'm fading away I love you all I really hope you enjoyed this episode thanks for sticking it out through my weak voice and my coughs and my fever rambling <laughs> I love you all you all deserve good blessed be and goodbye